Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, March 25th edition of the Basement Academy. Thanks for taking a few moments out of your day to consider a psalm, that is a prayer, as we continue our prayerful journey through the psalms, and also to consider some questions I have for you. <laughs> and so the morning psalm's a little long, so let me dive right into it. Psalm 55, um, it's an important psalm that we need to have in our praying repertoire. And so Psalm 55, it's a psalm of David. Listen to my prayer, O God, do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy, at the stares of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me, horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. Selah. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. But I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them. Selah. Men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends, he violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. And that's Psalm 55. We're not given the specific context, but we do recall that time in David's life when his son Absalom rose up against him and then some of David's counselors and friends went over to Absalom. And so it might be that context, this kind of foreshadowing the betrayal of Judas that is seen in the betrayal of the friends and advisors of uh, David. 
two passages or two verses uh, within this psalm that always stick with me. One is, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Uh, Peter picks up on this in one of his letters in the New Testament. That when we are burdened, when we're overwhelmed, when we're in anguish, um, whatever it is that is confronting us, that we would cast our cares on God. (laughs) He will sustain us. He will not let us fall. And then this uh, reminder that destructive forces are at work in the city. Mm, Threats and lies never leave its streets. Now, I'm not against cities. I love cities, though I live outside a city. But when you put a bunch of people in close proximity, uh, when you put a bunch of sinners in close proximity, you can expect there to be some some tumult and, and turmoil. Um, and, and there are destructive forces. And sadly, we've seen destruction in the city in recent days. Uh, the shooting in Atlanta, the shooting now <clears throat> in Boulder this week. And so, um, yeah, we, we live in such a world. Uh, threats and lies never leave its streets. And so the reality is this is an unfriendly, uncongenial world to a life of faith, a life of hope, a life of love. And so um, the question I want to put to you, it really uh, echoes one question I asked at the beginning of last week when I started asking the questions. (laughs) Uh, the, the question how to lead in times of a, a collapsing, changing moral order. So the question kind of more specifically, how best to support our younger families, our younger parents, as they raise their children to face this tsunami, this changing world, this changing order uh, that's in front of us. And so uh, in the Presbyterian Church, we, we, take a, we baptize children. I, I think most of you, uh, would know that we see a consistency and a and a, a continuity as children under the old covenant received the sign of the covenant. So children under the new covenant appropriately receive the sign of the covenant. We know those children are not old enough to speak their own faith. We know that. We don't believe baptism saves, but we believe baptism marks them as being part of this larger family, this covenant family. And so uh, in the Presbyterian church, when we baptize children, I ask, or we ask as ministers, we ask the parents to take a vow to affirm their faith in Christ and commitment to raise their children in the faith uh, to know Jesus. But then we turn and ask the congregation to answer a question also, to take a vow to support and assist the parents in the Christian nurture of their child or children. In my 29-ish years of ordained ministry, I've never had anybody say no to the congregational vow to support the parents. It's always 100% yes, we will support the parents. The challenge becomes, how do we put that into practice as a congregation? Sometimes I will say things like, well, by saying yes to this, congregation, what you're now saying is some of you are going to serve as Sunday school teachers. Some of you are going to serve as uh, volunteer youth leaders. Some will serve in the nursery. And I joke about passing around the sign up to do that right then. (laughs) No better time to ask for the volunteer when they've just said yes. 
Um, it means we will pray for our parents. We will encourage them. We will welcome their families into worship and we will not frown at them if their child's making a little bit of rustling noise during the middle of the choir anthem. We're not going to frown at that family and that child. We're going to welcome them. We're going to bless them. We're going to encourage that. Um, Part of our fulfillment of the baptismal vow is to welcome the children forward for the children's time. We have a thing at Greenwich where we, we offer a prayer of blessing. We bless the children. Sometimes we tell a story. Sometimes we just offer a, a prayer. But one of the ways we fulfill the baptismal vow to support our parents is through our financial contributions. We give to support the ministry of the church Part of that ministry is to support staff who work with our families. Part of it is to purchase curriculum for Sunday school and youth group uh, and uh, for vacation Bible school. It's to provide financial support as the youth go out on mission trips uh, and the like. And so that is all, all of those expressions are in commitment and fulfillment of our baptismal vow to support our younger families to raise their children in Christ. But the reality is most families who say yes, most parents or people who say yes to the baptismal vow will never get to know that set of parents personally. You might, if you happen to sit near them uh, on Sunday morning, because we kind of have neighborhoods, don't we? We kind of sit in certain places in the sanctuary. And if that family or a family sits near you, you get to know them and that we want you to do that. We, we, we think that's good. But most of us won't. We're a pretty good-sized church. You know, we're 500 plus members. Um, we've got two services. And so we don't always know the families, the parents, uh, or, or the children. We think it's swell and sweet uh, when they're up there with the children's pageant, but we don't know them well. So the challenge is how then to to strengthen these relationships. So over the years, we've had a, a variety of ways we've tried to do this. Um, a significant effort that I think we've lost, we've kind of backed up on, is we used to have a 9.30 service. Before we had our new building, our new sanctuary, we had three services, partly just to accommodate the, the congregation on Sunday morning. We just couldn't fit well into that small chapel uh, in two services. So I don't know, back in 2003-ish or four, whatever it was, we added a third service and then that went until 2015 when we entered our new building. And we've lost something, I think, when we lost that middle service because that was the sweet spot for our families. Just it was a right time of day. Um, the format was very family-friendly, a um, little less formal, the, the music was um, the instrumentation between guitar and piano, and we would sometimes have mandolin and cello and oboe and little drums. It was really sweet. And we would sing songs that were a little more familiar, a little more accessible to, I think, younger, younger families. We would still sing the hymns, but we would add some of the contemporary uh, expressions of music in. So we've backed up there, and, and we probably need to think about that. Um, we have had family fellowship events, monthly potlucks, where we gather with all, all the families uh, with kids, and then we would break the kids off into programming, and then we would pull the parents aside for some equipping um, efforts. Uh, we offer faith at home resources, ways for parents to bring a church into the home in some ways with devotional resources and the like. 
Um, we've made staff commitments along the way uh, with, with family ministry staff. We're currently have a suspended search for a director of family ministries. And so we might need to wrestle with, lift that suspension. We had started just the search just before uh, the pandemic hit. And the, the elders of the church have felt it would not be appropriate because of some uncertainty with the pandemic and, and financial uncertainty to, to be making that uh, commitment. We wouldn't want to bring somebody here and find that we were unable to continue uh, to support them and compensate them. And so um, as the pandemic has gone on and we've seen the congregation offer uh, continued support, we, we perhaps might want to consider um, resuming that search. Um, I think the, the biggest thing is probably that we made a, a, a philosophical uh, shift uh, some, I don't know, probably five, six, seven, eh, probably seven, eight years ago. Um, where we we kind of doubled down on the biblical truth that it is the parents' responsibility ultimately to to raise the children. Now, we're not trying to absolve ourselves as a congregation, but we're trying to understand that your job isn't to bring your children to the church to get their Christian education the same way you bring your child to the piano teacher, right? Uh, or to the uh, you know a football coach or something like that. So, you know, don't go hire the expert to teach your child something that you don't do. It's not like taking your kid to a tutor to teach them math. That we really believe the responsibility, biblically, the responsibility for raising the children rests with the parents. And our job is to supplement that, to support that. And so we kind of doubled down on that commitment. And so we shifted the language to family ministries rather than children's ministry or youth ministry. We now see all children and youth ministry combined under the rubric or under the umbrella of family ministries. And then we began to really focus on equipping the parents. And so our, if we really love the children, we'll love their moms and dads. That was kind of the way we thought about this or are thinking about this. And we would hold, held a number of parent forums. And I I, I still have done this. I just haven't done it as much recently because of the pandemic. But I would offer a version of the scared straight talk, you know, when you would, you know, take a prisoner and have them speak to the high school students and, you know, kind of talk about what life in prison's really like. So it kind of scares them to, to stay away from crime and, and, and the, you know, and the like. So uh, the, I, I would offer a version of that. Uh, where I would talk about, you know, how, how, what concerns do you all have for your children as they grow up in this world? What are concerns you have that are at work, uh, you know, in, you know, the, the, the challenges your kids might be facing and, and the like. And so get the parents kind of enlist them and naming things, uh, you know, on the board that they were concerned that their kids would get involved with. And then I would say something to the effect of, you know, it is pretty bad. Well, let me tell you, it is worse than that. <laughs> and I would do it with dramatic effect and with intent. And their eyes would get about as big as saucers. Because, guys, it is so much worse than you think. And I would know that partly because my kids were a little further down the path. And I would know the things that they were engaging and the things that they were hearing and the things that they were encountering uh, amongst the peer group and the like. And then I would say, do I have your attention? <laughs> and and it was for some dramatic effect, but it was also serious. 
because the early winds of the storm, uh, the, 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 the early waves, the, the surge of the waves of the tsunami were already upon us, you know, even five, 10 years ago. The tsunami is fully ashore now and it is sweeping things away. This cultural tsunami, this changing moral order, I've spoken plenty about that, so I won't rehearse it all right here. <clears throat> but this is the challenge that younger families are facing, okay? I know every generation of parents faces challenges. They're the daily challenges of changing diapers and getting kids up and out and off to school and, you know, dealing with their misbehavior and the challenges of the friends that they're choosing and the challenges of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all of that stuff, okay? You know, I, I, I get that. But there are new challenges. Challenges brought on by, I'm holding up my smartphone here, you know, challenges brought on by smartphone technology, the internet, the filters, the boundaries are, are all gone. Kids know how to get around those. Even if your kids don't, they have friends who do. And, and, and so kids are being exposed to things at such younger ages, things that are, are inappropriate for them to have, to, they shouldn't have to see those things. So the destructive forces that are at work in the city have spilled out as it were. That is, if you take the city as, as a metaphor for the human community, the destructive forces are only intensifying, they're expanding, and then they're being they're just being cast out. And so, I mean, it's, it's nine near impossible to keep young children from being exposed to destructive realities that are at work in the world, okay? And so this is, this is what I mean. How do we support our parents, our younger, younger parents, to, to raise their children to face the tsunami, okay? So we're not talking about just how do we get kids involved in the youth program and, you know, singing in the Christmas pageant. It is so much deeper than that, so much more significant than that. Um, and so one of the questions we've begun to kind of toss around a little bit with leadership, with our, our, our church staff and elders and deacons, and we need to do this more, what sacrifices are we, older members of the congregation who've, who've raised our children or perhaps who don't have children and, but want to see this, this support effort go on, what sacrifices are we willing to make? Are we willing to amend our worship service schedule on Sunday morning? Are we willing to add a worship service? Are we willing to have one of the worship services become that family-friendly format or, or, or time? Um, are we willing to add staff? Are we, is it time to, to, to lift the suspension on the search for a director of family ministry? Should we resume that search? The challenge, of course, is bringing somebody here in a time when we can't always be together. And so to introduce somebody in a distance way is challenging, but, but maybe it's time to re-engage that conversation. Would we be willing to make clear, significant financial commitments to the church, which seem to be there, but would we be able to do that in such a way that communicates, we want to do this. We want, we want this director of family ministries here and we want to support our, our families and 
I'm making this financial commitment to do that. Can we get that mortgage paid off? That's one thing This elders a year ago, right before the pandemic, we were talking about doing a, a short, high intensity pay off the mortgage campaign. Uh, we're paying about $14,000 a month right now uh, on the mortgage. We're, 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 we're doing well. We're way ahead of schedule. But if we could get that thing cleared out, that would release funds for mission and for ministry, not just paying it back to the bank. And so is there some financial commitment, a sacrifice financially that we would be willing to make? Um, perhaps it is something like adopt a family, have some of our older members of the church, empty nesters and others who have some time and energy and commitment to adopt younger families. Because the reality is that many of our families at Greenwich don't have families of their own nearby. And yes, we talk about the church family more broadly, but wouldn't it be great if there was kind of like a mentor couple, kind of like a surrogate grandma and grandpa to our young parents and their children who could be there for support, for encouragement, for prayer, for resourcing and asking and answering questions and the like to be a mentor. And so that's perhaps something, a sacrifice that some uh, would be willing to make. Um, is it... This is a challenging one, but if some of you recall, if, you, if you're a Basement Academy, you, you know, just a few weeks ago, there was that very earnest question and very honest and somewhat raw question about the public schools and just the reality of what children are, are not able to, to do in public schools or what they're being faced with. And so is one th I've had a thought about this. Should we actually establish some kind of scholarship fund at the church? Would we make a financial commitment as individuals and as a church family to establish a scholarship fund that young families, parents could apply to, to receive financial support to send their children to private schools? Now, you know, your mind could already start to go, oh, well, how would we administer that? Oh, we can figure that thing out. But wouldn't it be something to have $100,000 or $200,000 or whatever the right number would be to support young parents so that they could, with their financial means, be able to receive some scholarship support to send their children to private Christian schools? Hmm, maybe that's one way we fulfill our baptismal vow, that we step up, we who have means, to step up to support our younger families who often don't have all the means uh, for, for such an effort. Um, and so these are just some ideas that roll around my mind. My guess is you can think of other ideas, ways that we can practically support our younger parents in the raising of their children to face the cultural tsunami because it is real, people. Just ask your children or grandchildren. Again, depending on the ages, you know, you're not going to ask a four-year-old. But you have to assume that anyone under the age of 25, <laughs> certainly kids, you know, high school kids, are being overwhelmed with this social justice, white supremacy, heteronormativity oppression, um, if you don't know what those words mean, there's a previous uh, Basement Academy, and I'll pick that up again. We're going to keep looping into this. Um, 
the kids are just, they're, they're swimming in this. They're breathing this air. This is the water they swim in. Orthodox Christian faith and ethics are routinely questioned or abandoned or rejected or ridiculed. Routinely. Routinely. This is the, this is the, 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 the cultural tsunami. One who holds to the truths that we teach and profess and proclaim at Greenwich Though in society right now at college, that, that view is routinely opposed. So how do we support our parents to equip their children to stand firm in such a time? Now, of course, one of the challenges we might face is that some of our younger parents themselves may be influenced by this. They may find themselves actually liking the the language of the tsunami. They may be swept uh, away. They may be tempted to be swept away themselves. They may be coming to believe an alternative morality um, that, that lifting oppression and social justice and critical race theory and its cousins um, that the, the lenses of white supremacy and the, the oppressive patriarchy and heteronormativity are actually the problem in society. And, and so there's a double challenge there, right? Uh, and I'm not trying to be scoldy. I'm just trying to acknowledge that Orthodox Christian faith even gets questioned within the church. Okay, it's not just outside in society. It's within the church itself because church members you know, we read our books, we visit our internet sites, we watch our television and news shows, we, we behold things and, and draw independent judgment. And I, I always encourage such. Um, there is this notion in society that Orthodox Christianity, and I mean small O Orthodox, I don't mean Greek Orthodox, but small O Orthodox Christianity, historic Christianity is coming increasingly in American society to be seen as the problem. That the problem is that this guy who went and shot up the Atlanta massage parlors was part of a conservative Baptist church which teaches sexual purity. And if Christians wouldn't be so repressive, then the guy wouldn't have been so problematic and he wouldn't have been so angry and violent, etc. And so I've been reading about that, that maybe the problem is with what Christians teach their young men that, that, that somehow leads them into these places of moral confusion. Um, so it's, it's quite jumbled. So our work is cut out for us, is what I'm saying, okay? So I, I'm encouraging you to think how you can support younger families, younger parents in your sphere of influence. It might be your own children who have children of their own. Um, it might be neighbors in your neighborhood where you live or your neighborhood at Greenwich. How can you commit to pray, encourage, support? I would, I would love to hear from some of you ideas that you have for ways to support uh, our younger parents. Some of the ideas that I've raised, you know, the, the worship service uh, changes in format or uh, financial commitment and staffing and, and scholarship funds and the like. Just so let, let, let's do our part um, to, to crowdsource this, this, this thing and, and to think our way through it so that we can stand with our parents and the children 
whom we have already said repeatedly, yes, we will support you in this covenant of baptism in the raising of your children to know Jesus Christ. So let's do what we can, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this covenant of baptism and this church family, not only Greenwich, but your church throughout time and space that has nurtured us. And so stand with us as we seek to stand with our parents and their children. Uh, We wish the best, we pray the best for them. And so give to us creativity, give to us intelligence, give to us love, uh, energy to stand alongside and what adjustments and sacrifices we may be called to make. Lord, we pray that, that we would make that and that you would show us and that we would walk that path well. And so we pray for our children and grandchildren that they may be kept from the enemy and from the destructive forces that are at work in the city. And Lord, we pray for your church here and in the community and to the farthest corners that it would be strong and that it would be compassionate, it would be courageous, it would be free, it would be full of love and, and, and mercy and, and, and good fruit from your spirit, that we would stand against the gates of hell and know that you will continue to build uh, this church from generation to generation. So hear our prayer as we make it in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God whose love is unfailing from generation to generation, whose faithfulness is sure from generation to generation, may that God watch over you, keep you, bless you, and your loved ones now and forevermore. Amen.